Welcome to the Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Your host, Sue Meyer, is a Catholic wife and homeschool mom of 11. She shares her knowledge of the study of natural alternative medicine with you. While this show is not intended to diagnose or name any disease, through her experience, Sue will share helpful information to help you further your study into the amazing world of homeopathy. And now, here's your host, Sue Meyer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Homeopathy for Mommies. I'm Sue Meyer. And today we have an extremely special guest. Uh, Fact is, when Joy, we were talking about guests that we could possibly interview someday, the name of Dr. Isaac Golden came up and I'm like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> I says, Joy, seriously, if you could get him on here, that would be like the ultimate. Well, anyway, he's with us today. <laughs> and so I thank you so much, Dr. Isaac Golden, for, for being here with us, our listeners. We actually have, a, we have our podcast and then we also have a member's corner and our members have submitted many, many questions um, in anticipation of you coming on for this podcast. And so we will answer some of their questions now, and then we're going to kind of do a second part for them that will, that, you know, they get some of their meaty questions answered later. <laughs> so this is going to be a lot of information and we're, I'll try to take it slow because you know how me, I like to talk really, really fast. And um, so anyway, Dr. Isaac Golden has been a homeopathic practitioner since 1984 and a teacher since 88. He founded the Australian College of Hanuminian homeopathy in 90, which offers distance education courses in homeopathic and natural medicine. Isaac is a regular contributor to local and international academic journals and is the author of 11 books on homeopathy. He has lectured in 10 countries. He is a world authority on homeoprophylaxis, and that's basically what we're going to be talking about today. The use of homeopathic medicines for specific infectious disease prevention and was the first person to be awarded a PhD from a mainstream Australian university for research on a homeopathic topic. He is presently undertaking a range of research projects in Australia and overseas. He was an honorary research fellow, faculty of science Federation University Australia from 2013 to 2016. And he is currently the deputy chair of the National Institute of Integrative Medicine Ethics Committee and is a research consultant. He is the Australian contact person for LIGA. Is that how you pronounce that, Dr. Golden? Okay. Medicorum Homeopathica Internationalis. He co-founded the Health Australia Party in July 2015. And we have, we were, we're, we'll put links on here, but find out more here from um, www.homestudy.net backslash. And it's spelled out H-O-M-S-T-U-D-Y.net. I I was just telling Dr. (laughs) Golden that I've been listening to his podcast all day long. I did not know until I did my interview with Eugenie Kruger from Australia that he had all these podcasts and YouTube videos out there. So I just literally spent the whole day (laughs) listened to as many as I could. I actually listened to a couple of them twice because they were so informative and I was taking notes all day. And um, because I've read his book, but I, the the first book, but I, um, and I've, you know, obviously gleaned information over the years, but I didn't know that he had so much other information out there. That's just, you know, out there. (laughs) We can just, we have access to one of the, I, Eugenie's podcast was absolutely amazing. I loved that podcast with um, Dr. Isaac Golden and she's on homeopathy hangout. And then also there was another super, super good YouTube video from health in, and that's H E A L T H I N N. And that was from June of 21. Super good. Um, I actually backed that one up a couple of times and listened to more of that too. So I just want to throw that out there right now. So in case you guys, you know, you hear something on here and you, you're like, what? I need more information about that. Trust me. There's a lot. He's got so much stuff out there and he's giving it freely to anyone that wants to listen. So without further ado, Dr. Isaac Golden, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Sue. And, and also to Joy, who's been uh, making, help make this happen. Um, I don't, didn't realize how many podcasts I had actually, because I don't usually use social media apart from uh, the, the, interviews or little videos I do for the Health Australia Party. Well, yes, I'm impressed with that too. Oh, you looked at that as well. <laughs> I did. I listened to the whole thing and it was amazing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why don't we do this around you're, the world? It doesn't have to be just very, Australia. <laughs> very, very thorough. Um, look, it is a pleasure 
uh, to be here because, I mean, I'm happy to talk to anyone at any time, time permitting, about homeoprophylaxis. And I've been involved with homeoprophylaxis or homeopathic immunisation since 1985. That's when I designed my first program. And we were having a quick chat uh, before this started, and your background and my background are very similar in terms of why we got into this. Uh, so my original training was in economics, and I ran a tax practice for a few years uh, that belonged to a friend of mine when he was absent. Um, I was really interested in, and, uh, in that area, but I've always been interested in natural health. Um, and so back in the early 80s, uh, I decided when I had an opportunity to start studying natural health issues a little bit more. And uh, I, had, I was working as a financial controller for a construction company up North Australia uh, for a while, and I had a bit of time. And so I, I formally started to do some studies, and it was things like you know herbs, uh, flower essences, nutritional stuff, all of which I love and have a great appreciation for. Uh, but when someone suggested to me, oh, have a look at homeopathy, and I thought, never heard of it. Um, <laughs> but I started to have a look at homeopathy. And, and to be honest with you, you asked me why I switched. Um, basically, it was because I saw a photograph or not. Well, yeah, no, it was the only photograph of Samuel Hunneman, who was the founder. And something rang a bell. I don't know. And then I started reading some of his works and the bell got louder and louder. But prior to that, while I was still involved, uh, you know, in my earlier occupation, I used to vaccinate my own children and one of them was vaccine injured. And so for the first time, I started looking for information about vaccination and there really was hardly any back then. And because I love statistics, <laughs> I, I actually wrote to government agencies in Australia, England, America, and a few other countries, but they were the three I got data back from, about the, the incidence of, of diseases and deaths before and after vaccines for those diseases for, were first introduced. Because the best reference I was able to get back then was books by Professor Robert Robert Mendelssohn, who have passed away many years now, but he was a wonderful man, a wonderful man. And he made a number of statements, which I found quite confronting. And one of them was that actually most of the infectious diseases were under control before vaccines were even used. So that was why I wrote for the data. And he was correct. That is true. And in one of my books, which is now in its seventh edition, I, I published that data that I collected. And it was clear that whilst with some diseases, there was an, an effect on the incidence of the disease. With most of them, the deaths had come from high down to low before vaccines were even introduced. And then he made another startling statement about polio. And he basically said that the CDC had done a little... Um, a change of the way they measured the statistics for polio after the polio epidemic had passed to ensure that it was eliminated. And I thought that's ridiculous. So, so I wrote to the CDC and they wrote back and they confirmed what he said was true. So before I knew what homeopathy was, um, I was already making the decision. I'm not going to vaccinate my children anymore. Wow. And shortly after that, I, I changed the, the career path. Then I found homeopathy. And when I got Hunneman's book, um, Lesser Writings, which is a collection of his essays, as opposed to his major books, like Chronic Diseases, The Organon, etc. And I read the essay in Lesser Writings entitled The Cure and Prevention of Scarlet Fever. Um, that was a turning point in my life because he was talking about the use of homeopathic medicine. This, in 1798, this is when 
the incidents occurred. He, he published the essay in 1801, but it actually was in 1798. He was talking about the use of homeopathic medicines, not only to just treat diseases, because we knew that was all, that was what homeopathy was mainly about, but also to prevent. And it was such an interesting story. Um, he was using the remedy belladonna in homeopathic potency. Don't use it in unpotentized form, folks. It's very <laughs> toxic. To actually treat cases of scarlet fever as this epidemic was moving through Germany. Now, before it moved into a particular town, there was a young girl in the town he was treating for a totally different condition uh, using belladonna. And this is one of the things with homeopathic medicines. They can be used, an individual medicine can be used to treat people on the physical, mental, and intellectual sides, uh, emotional side as well. So you've got physical, mental, emotional, if you like, aspects. And an individual remedy can cover hundreds of conditions, potentially. So Hahnemann was using belladonna to treat this young lass. And when the epidemic moved into her town, she didn't get infected. Her family did, but she didn't. And so Hahnemann thought, I'm using the remedy that I'm treating people with on her, the remedy for scarlet fever. She was taking it before she was exposed. She didn't get the disease. So being a true scientist, he then started experimenting and giving the remedy belladonna to people in other places before the epidemic came in and he found it worked. And you see, this comes back to the fundamental principle on which homeopathy is based, the principle of similars. Some people call it the law of similars. That's contentious in some people's eyes. Let's say the principle of similars doesn't matter. And the principle of similars, when people are taught homeopathy in most colleges, they only refer to the principle as it relies or as it relates to treatment. In other words, something that can cause symptoms in a healthy person can treat similar symptoms in an unwell person. So, for example, Ipecac, which doctors use if a person swallows something that's toxic, they give them Ipecac syrup, it causes them to vomit out the, the contents of the stomach. And Ipecac in homeopathic potency is one of our very valuable remedies to treat nausea and vomiting, but only if it fits the remedy, because there are hundreds of remedies, as you know, to treat <laughs> potentially nausea and vomiting. With Ipecac, unless the patient has a clean, moist tongue, which is often unusual in gastrointestinal issues, Ipecac won't be the best remedy. But if wow. they do have a clean, moist tongue, it'll work almost every time. So that's how the principle of a stimulus is applied for treatment but it also applies for prevention. And a lot of homeopaths, unfortunately, because of their training, don't even realize that. They think it only applies for treatment. It's not true. So a substance which can cause symptoms in a healthy person can prevent similar symptoms if caused by a particular infectious disease. And belladonna, like I said, is the, the prime example of that. So belladonna can cause symptoms similar to scarlet fever if given to a healthy person, but it also can prevent those similar symptoms if the person is exposed to the, um, and I know someone asked a question about viruses, but I'm going to assume we have viruses, no? <laughs> scarlet fever virus. Right. And that's what we call a genus epidemicus remedy in homeoprophylaxis and in, and in treatment, a remedy which will treat most people who have symptoms from that particular epidemic. But the, the principle of similars has two arms when it comes to prophylaxis. The second arm is something that will, where we use the rem remedies called nozos. In other words, potencies of the actual organism itself whether it be viral or bacterial. And once again, we know that the organism itself will cause those symptoms. So in your patient who will have potentially similar symptoms, using a potency of the nozo is also one way to prevent 
the person getting symptoms using the principle of similars. You're explaining this very, very well. I have, um, I have people ask me all the time, how does homeoprophylaxis work? And you're explaining it perfectly. I will uh, say there is one question here that maybe a lot of people would be interested in, but they, <clears throat> they ask, does it create long-term memory um, of the illness and the in the no. body? Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Cause that's a really, really important question. And in fact, <clears throat> a colleague and I in Australia are working on something which we hope in maybe three or four years time might produce a modification of HP, which will produce antibodies. Okay. Because in Australia, it's a very important question. And I'm, I'm almost certain to be the very important in America as well, that um, we have very restrictive laws here, uh, totally unscientific laws. Uh, there's one called, um, the no jab, no play law, which in most states in Australia means that an infant before they go to school who is not vaccinated cannot go to a government accredited preschool or kinder. It's a horrible law. It's not based on science. It was opposed by doctors associations as well as scientists, as well as lawyers, etc. But the politicians still put it through. And the reason why that's so significant for this question about antibodies is that if homeoprophylaxis produced antibodies the same way as vaccines do, then that would be sufficient to allow the children to go to the preschools. Now, the reason why it doesn't is because it's not a vaccine. You see, there are three major ways in which the body defends itself against an infectious disease. And the antibody antigen response is the last line of defense. It kicks in about three, four, five days after the person's exposed to the antigen. And in theory, it makes perfect sense. If the person has circulating antibodies to that particular antigen, and they're sufficiently close because remember antigen antibody response works on a lock and key approach. So they've got to be pretty similar or it doesn't work as we've seen with COVID and the changing variants. Um, then uh, basically that will help the body's response kick into action more quickly. Before that, there's a whole range of, uh, responses in the respiratory tract and the gastrointestinal tract, because that's where most infectious diseases ants, uh, sort of enter the body, either through the nose or the mouth, not all of them, some through breakages of the skin. Um, but they've been built up over thousands of years. And that's why some people who don't use uh, vaccines, who don't use homeoprophylaxis can be exposed to diseases and not get them at all because they've already got you right. know, a really effective immune system. The first line of defense is the energetic line of defense. And for some people, this is very difficult. Of course, orthodox people who only believe that we are a physical thing, like a machine, which can be manipulated using drugs and physical things, they, they don't find this very easy to understand. <clears throat> but of course, we are more than just a physical thing. We have an emotional self, we have an intellectual self, and of course, God knows how many higher selves we have apart from that. But let's just talk about the bottom right. three, the physical, the emotional, and the intellectual selves. So we have a, an energetic part of us. Now, some people who have gifted sight can see part of that energetic self surrounding the physical form it's called an aura right. and occasionally i get a little glimpse sometimes ah. we can see the etheric body in certain light the etheric body is just outside the physical body and it's usually whitish or silverish and in a certain light sometimes you can just see a tiny glow around someone well that's the etheric body but the other bodies go a bit further out. Anyway, we don't want to get too esoteric. <laughs> I don't know, do we? <laughs> but we won't. Maybe on, <laughs> a different, maybe on a different podcast. <laughs> maybe on a different podcast. But the, the point is that physical things also have an energetic body. So the, the, the desk I'm sitting at 
doesn't go very far out of the desk, but it has an energetic self. So if, for example, you're concerned about whooping cough and you give your infant the homeoprophylaxis remedy for whooping cough, pertussis, and you're walking down the supermarket pushing the, the, the stroller with your bub in it, and someone comes past you who's got active whooping cough and they cough all over you both. The very first interaction as the whooping cough bacterium is heading towards your bub's nostrils is not the bacterium entering the nostril. It's the energetic body of your infant and the energetic body of the whooping cough bacterium connecting now this occurs in a fraction of a second but nature works in fractions of seconds so that's the first interaction that happens before the physical thing we call the bacterium enters the nostrils and if you're immune at that level even if and when the physical organism enters the nostrils you won't get the symptoms if you're effectively immune on the energetic level but one wonderful thing will happen. You'll develop antibodies. Because oh. when the physical thing enters the body, the antibody response will still be triggered. Right. You just won't have symptoms. Right. And, you know, like I had, I got COVID. My wife and I got COVID. She's a very experienced nurse and naturopath. She had a patient who vomited over her. Oh, and found, she found out some days later that the patient had COVID. She developed some symptoms, did a test, rapid antigen test, was positive. I did the test. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Um, And uh, I was also positive. And, you know, we got through it. I've had colds, common cold that's worse. But the thing I was so happy about is I've got all these lovely antibodies now (laughs) to the Omicron variant. And without distress, we, I know one of the questions you might talk about at the second part, I'm not sure, but if we want to talk about COVID, is there's so many interesting aspects of that about why have some really healthy people who do everything right got COVID badly and other people who drink and smoke got COVID and hardly got anything at all. But that's <laughs> yes. a long question. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we definitely will have, um, we will talk about that. I glean members your area or whatever. amazing mind and put it in our members' corner. Okay, this isn't a silly question. This is a very important question because oddly enough, we get this question a lot from our members. They call themselves newbies when they're coming into homeopathy. They just found out about it on some Facebook group. And so they're searching and they, they find our members corner. Or they are, they email info at homeopathiesformommies.com and ask questions. And one of the most prevalent questions is what is the best way to introduce your, you know, introduce new parents to homeoprophylaxis when they've never even heard of homeopathy. So there are two answers I'd give here. Firstly, let me <clears throat> give the answer that I often say to, to people um, when I'm doing a, and I, I don't see people face to face anymore. I'm trying to retire, but it's, I'm very unsuccessful. We won't let you. I've, <laughs> I've closed my books on um, new general health patients. I'm still taking immunization and vaccine injury cases, new cases on. And, um, but when I have a, a phone consult with um, some with parents uh, about homeoprophylaxis, the first thing, well, actually, it's usually the last thing I say to them is if they ever have to have a discussion about it with someone like a doctor or a nurse or even family and friends, If you're using homeoprophylaxis, begin by telling people that you believe in preventing the most serious diseases. And that's what you're doing. And if the person says to you, well, you know, it's a load of rubbish, there's no evidence, so-and-so says you shouldn't do it, which is the common response from limited orthodox people, then and this is why looking at the, my immunization page on the website is so important, you can say, well, you know, I know, understand what you're saying, but I've done my research and homeopathy is not a, homeoprophylaxis has not only been used for over 220 years, there's evidence of its use in over 250 million doses by government agencies in other countries. Right. And usually... If the other person, first of all, they know you're being a proactive parent who's 
actively preventing in a safe way the most potentially serious diseases and secondly you know that the parents done research that they haven't done then often that'll diffuse a difficult conversation and the data I'm referring to is right at the bottom of my webpage on immunization underneath the last little video. And there's a link to a free article you can get there. People can download for free. Uh, It's a summary of two articles that I published in 2019 in peer reviewed journals and literally looking at the experience, the published experience in just three countries mainly by government agencies in those countries in literally over 250 million doses using homeoprophylaxis. Now, it was using it slightly differently to the long-term program, which I give, and I'll talk about this later, I'm sure. Uh, Much of what that use was, was for short-term epidemic use. But the biggest intervention from India, Japanese encephalitis in Andhra Pradesh, Uh, That went over 11 years, and they only dosed once a year, which is what I basically do for my long-term program. They stopped uh, that in around about um, 2000. They stopped at mid-2000s because there weren't any cases. Oh, my goodness. And it started to come back again in that area um, in Andhra Pradesh and Telangana where they were using it. Uh, because they'd stopped the pretension. But during that time, when they were using it, the the figures went from there to zero. Wow. um, For a period of years. It was an amazing experiment. And this is what I mean. You know, if orthodox trained people would only open their minds and look at evidence like this, they wouldn't be so sarcastic. They wouldn't be so critical of homeopathy. Just because homeopathy uses substances in a potentized or energized form, it doesn't mean it's hocus pocus. It doesn't mean it's placebo. Right. What it's doing is working on a level that they're not familiar with. Right. Now, just because they're not familiar with it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Exactly. That's not science. Right. That is not science. Exactly. So that's what I say to my patients. In terms of explaining um, it to people, I guess I'd use that little example of walking through the supermarket, you know, that we talked about right. earlier. Um, and really, I'd just be saying to people, okay, you're asking about this because you have some concerns about orthodox vaccination. And you've probably got those concerns because unlike most people, you've done a little bit of research outside of the mainstream media and outside of the orthodox paradigm. And you're open-minded enough to think, well, wow, if this is true, this is a method. It's not a perfect method. It doesn't give 100% protection. Nothing on the planet does. Even getting a, a disease once occasionally people still get measles twice or still get whooping cough twice even though that's the best form of immunization in the long term or the most i shouldn't say the best the the most certain so it's not a perfect method but it can guarantee the person will not be harmed and it can show through evidence that the level of protection is very similar to that of vaccines now If you go to any orthodox doctor in Australia, and I would assume it's the same in America, and you say to the doctor, if you want me to vaccinate my child, I want you to give me your personal guarantee in writing, writing, so I can take it to court if something goes wrong, that the vaccine you want to give my child is completely effective and completely safe. Now, no doctor on the planet in their right mind will will do that. I know because some people have tried and the answer is always no. I can give someone my personal guarantee that the method is safe. I can't give them my personal guarantee that it's 100% effective because it isn't. Yep. But well, that's a really good, when you, that's a really good. <laughs> when you look at data, there. when you look at data, it shows a level of effectiveness around about the 90% mark. And that's certainly as good as you get from vaccines. That's amazing. And that's why I'm comfortable saying to parents, you've got an option here. Even if you can't understand 
how it works. It doesn't matter. Right. You, there is evidence there that it does work and it's worked for over 200 years and it's worked in hundreds of millions of doses and it's worked by governments in other countries. And they say, oh, well, they're third world countries, you know, Cuba, <laughs> India, Brazil, the, the three countries in my article. But they're the tip of the iceberg. You know, right. there, there's evidence from Europe, you know, Switzerland. Well, no one's going to say Switzerland or Germany, you know, are, are, are fools right. because they don't have a lot of money. I mean, it's totally pejorative, of course, that those sort of responses, third world right. countries. Yeah. I mean, in many cases, they have more intelligence and we won't talk about COVID <laughs> yet. But in some speaking. of the African countries who have virtually no vaccines, they're incidence rates and certainly their death rates are much lower in the highest vaccinated countries in the world. Wow. Yeah, speaking of intelligence, I did actually take notes. Um, one of the, I should have written down which, which podcast this was listening to because I was like, because I, um, I, I'm told all the time that, you know, homeopathy shouldn't be in the hands of the little people. Only they should always have a homeopath that tells them what to do. And I'm like, I completely disagree with that because at two o'clock in the morning, no homeopath is going to answer that phone. And parents are, you know, like I say, the, the God's first caregiver. And if you give them just basic instructions and if they have, I always say a half a brain, they, they can figure out, you know, what ready yeah. to give. And so anyway, in your podcast today, it just, you did make that statement. You said any person with an average intelligence can be taught how to use homeopathy and homeoprophylaxis. And I'm like, I love that statement. <laughs> well, it's true. Like one of my daughters is a homeopath and she has a very, very good homeopathic first aid kit. You may have one yourself. I'm not sure. But I mean, I wrote a little book, a little first aid prescriber, very, very simple for people with no homeopathic background. So, for example, with fevers, uh, you can divide fevers immediately into two parts, slow onset and fast onset. If it's fast onset, sudden onset, it's going to be belladonna or aconite. If it's slow onset, you've got a number of other ones, ferrum, fossic, etc. So it's really, really simple. And um, she sells hundreds of these things and, and there are other companies in Australia of course right. and practitioners who sell first aid kits and if they've got the little book and the child's got a fever they open to the fever page it's sudden onset right there now is the face flushed dusky red are the eyes glistening is the the child really hot but no sweat you give belladonna has the child got a really hot head but their feet and hands are, are cold right um and this, particularly if they've been out in the wind the, the day before, you give aconite. Awesome. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, and like you said, the mothers are right that. there and they know the history of, like I said, sudden or um, slow onset. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it does teach them to be responsible for their child's yeah. health care. Because I think that's been taken away from us for so many years that we're, we've yeah. been taught, just get them to the doctor, hurry up, get them to ER, hurry up, rush Get a in. drug. Yes, exactly. And so when we feel when we have that little kit that empowers us and we feel, oh, my goodness, I can do this. I am mom. I can do this. Yeah. Honey, how are yeah. you feeling? Exactly. Where's your head hurt? You know? <laughs> so, yes, that's awesome. Uh, that's right. And, and, it's, and look, also dads. dads, dads can do it right. as well. Oh, I know. OK, so we have a very my husband was he is a workaholic. OK. He actually retired in January and he's still just as busy as, as he's always been. But he, he sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was the caregiver and, and he would come home and say, yeah, so how, how is he doing or how is she doing? Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's okay. becoming less common these days. Know, One of my sons who's just moved uh, back to Australia with his young family from China. He lived in China 15 oh years. He's the stay at home carer. Oh, wow. uh, and his wife, who's a, you know, was a, a financial advisor in a big bank in China. She's now working for a bank in Australia and she's the one who goes out. So it's not always mums, but right. I, I just want to make that point. You know, yeah. we're not, <laughs> the male of the species is not totally irresponsible right. or uncaring. Actually, my son-in-laws and my sons help a lot with their families yeah. as well. Not my oldest son so much because he's a workaholic like his father, but the other, my other son is very helpful yeah. and um, yeah. he's the one moving to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, um, okay. Some of the, another, here's another question that, um, for parents who, okay. So there are different programs out there. Um, you have your program. I know there's the Katie Birch program. Yeah. There's other programs out there, but in general, um, moms want to know that if they've gone through the entire, you know, if they go through the program, 
um, or if they've had one or two vaccines, do they still go through the entire program or do they just only go through the program that they haven't been vaccinated for? <clears throat> vaccinated yeah, versus immunized. Yeah, 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 I understand. And that's the, that's the language that I use too: vaccines versus immunization. Right. Uh, I mean, vaccines are a form of immunization. Homeoprophylaxis is a form of immunization. So right. immunization actually covers both, but we need to say vaccination or HP. Yes, Let's it helps that. to really differentiate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's important because they are different. And some right. people make the mistake of thinking that HP is a homeopathic form of vaccination. It's not. Right. It's a totally different method. As I, It works on a different level completely, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's a complicated question to answer because not everyone is the same. So the, the, I have a six and a half year program. Starts at two weeks of age now. I've, I've did the first program in 1985 and I've changed four times okay. over that time as I've learned more as the Australian vaccination schedule has changed. I've changed it. And also as I've got more experience in my goal is to give parents the least amount of work to do for the most serious diseases and then give them the flexibility to introduce other remedies for the less serious diseases okay. later on if they choose to. Right. And some families do choose to do that and some don't. So in Australia, the five, I have five diseases in what I call my main program. Starts with whooping cough, pneumococcal disease, haemophilus influenzae, meningococcal disease, and tetanus. So for okay. Australia, to me, they're the top five. I'll just go over them again quickly. Uh, whooping cough, pneumococcal, haemophilus influenzae, HIV, that is, yeah. uh, meningococcal disease, and tetanus. Now, polio used to be in there, but uh, a decade or so ago, we changed to the American system of giving injected polio rather than um, oral polio. When they were giving an oral polio vaccine, that was the major cause of polio in Australia. In other <laughs> words, people given an oral vaccine will excrete it through the feces. And if the hygiene wasn't perfect, that meant the viral material can be passed on to others. And, right. when, and that presume that's the reason they changed to injected vaccine. Now, the injected vaccine is more dangerous for the recipient, but it's less dangerous for contactees. Wow. So it's more dangerous for the infant, but less dangerous for the parents and others. Oh, my heart. Whereas the oral, the oral vaccine is less dangerous for the recipient, the child, but more dangerous for contactees. Right. Anyway, that's just by the way. Um, and then in what I call the supplementary program, I have remedies for polio. I know some people want to put it in later on. That's fine. Um, measles, rotavirus, uh, I've got a short-term flu remedy and a remedy for tetanus wounds. So tetanus is covered twice. So compared to the orthodox Australian vaccination schedule, I don't have remedies in there for mumps, rubella or chickenpox, which are mild diseases in healthy kitties, very easily treated. I don't have a remedy for diphtheria, which is a potentially serious disease, but is not active in Australia. But if people were traveling to an area where it was active, I'd definitely give them diphtheria right. but parents can get those remedies later on if they wish so in other words my program is centered around those five really potentially for tiny infants very serious diseases now coming back to your question <laughs> um, it's definitely okay if a person has had some vaccines to use hp it's also definitely okay to do the other way. Like some parents come to me and they've read about the Japanese government experience in 1975, where they stopped, uh, they raised the minimum age of vaccination from three months to 24 months and the incidence of death and, and uh, severe, usually brain injury that was being paid for uh, under the Japanese government vaccine wow. injury compensation scheme fell dramatically. Some parents have read that and said, look, you know, we we don't want to give our ch our child any vaccines till two or three years of age. Then we really want to send them to preschool. So we're going to vaccinate them then. Uh, can I do that? And the answer is yes. So you can go either way. That's not a problem. Right. By the way, just anecdotally, and I haven't collected data on that, every now and again I hear from some of those families who have come and got the kit, made a start, 
And they've said to me, actually, we got to two or three years of age and we saw how much healthier our little kitty was compared to the vaccinated peers. And right. we've, we're thinking about the decision. Right. Okay. Now, in terms of what you do, it depends on the age of the child. So if, if the parents are making this decision before the child's born or in the first few weeks of life, it's really, really easy. If they're making it in the first few months of life, it's still really, really easy. You just start at the top. See, I give a full set of instructions and something I call the status sheet. Now, the status sheet basically said what to give at what age. Right. And for an older child, and, and by the way, there are gaps, months where no doses are scheduled at 11 months, 13, 14 months, and then following. The first year is pretty busy. Okay. <clears throat> but if a person's starting late, they just start at the top of the program and in the, in the order shown and in the spacing, two or four weeks shown, they just work through the program. And when they get to the gaps at 11 and 13, 14 months, they just ignore the gaps. They keep giving the next remedy and they're up to date usually by 15 months. Now, if a child's older than six months, and sometimes I get, you know, parents whose child might be two years of age, they haven't given any, any vaccines or any homeoprophylaxis, but they, they're concerned now and they want to start doing the program. Right. I just modify the status sheet. So we don't need to give them everything in that first year if they're okay. two or three years of age. And I just modified accordingly. So they come away with a modified status sheet, which shows once again, that if the child might be two years, so 24 months, you give this, 25 months, you give this, 26 months, you give that. Okay. And then later on, after about three years of age, there are gaps again. Okay. And the gaps are useful because if parents fall behind, then that's where they catch up. Okay. Just by resuming where they left off, giving monthly doses. And then when they get to the, the months where there are gaps, they ignore the gaps, keep giving monthly doses, they catch up. One very important reason why parents fall behind is going overseas. So if, for example, you're going to visit India and you might need, say, six diseases covered oh. in two or three wow. weeks holiday, you can't use this program. This is a program for long-term right. endemic prophylaxis for short-term prophylaxis in a situation like that it's best i usually recommend starting a month before the holiday you put the main program on hold if you're using hp okay and you just focus on the trip i usually give doses once a fortnight in a lower potency and that may might mean they're giving a dose every second or third day that's fine oh. and they just cycle through that a month before they go and whilst they're there when they get back, they wait two weeks and they resume the long-term program uh, where they left off. Okay. And once again, just keep giving monthly doses. The reason after the first three weeks, sorry, the first three months in my amended recent program is that I don't give doses any more frequently than monthly is in order to maximize both the effectiveness of the dose and the length of prevention. Okay. Because it's a long-term program. We want people to have as much protection as possible. But also built into the program, something with the supplementary program, is a system of boosters. So, for example, if you're concerned about whooping cough, you might have given two or three doses of the whooping cough from the HP program. But then you're going to visit a place in Australia. We've got a place called Byron Bay, a beautiful place, but it's the whooping cough capital of Australia. <laughs> and... What? I say to parents, if you're going to visit Byron Bay, the whole family can have a booster. Okay. And the reason for that is we, what we're offering is not 100% effective. Therefore, if you know there's going to be possible daily, daily exposure, if you give a booster, you're just improving the odds of success. Right. And with both vaccines and HP, they are most likely to fail if there's daily exposure to the okay. organism, right? Okay. So it's just common sense. So I've got this booster program built in to my kit, which has got 16 medicines in it, the main okay. and the supplementary program. That's awesome. How I have are a we quick going? question. <laughs> um, at what point did you start giving it to children under um, a year old? Because, you know, two, we're two all Two weeks taught, of age. 
Yes, we're all taught that, you know, children are, as long as the mother's breastfeeding, you know, they they come under her, you know, her. Sorry, that's nonsense. (laughs) And there's reason why it's nonsense. In the old days, in the old, good old days, Uh um, and I won't be rude by saying probably when you had your children, (laughs) it was correct for viral diseases. So if the mother had had measles, the child was protected up to 12 months of age. Right. And that's why when they introduced the measles vaccine, they didn't start giving it until 12 months of age. Okay. Because most mums had, had the disease and were breastfeeding. Right. The good old days, right? Yep. So right. the child got protection. But it doesn't apply to bacterial diseases okay. like whooping cough. Okay. These days, a lot of mums have not had measles. Right. They've been vaccinated. The level of protection that's passed on it's not it's there. Minimal. Okay. But I'm not covering those diseases anyway. You know, as I said, the, the right. three I start with, whooping cough, pneumococcal disease, and Haemophilus influenzae are not diseases that children are going to get right. a lot of protection from from their mum. So okay. that's why I said it's nonsense these okay. days. <laughs> well, I understand the, the bacterial days, diseases. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's a really important distinction, though. And this yep. is why I started two weeks of age. Whooping cough is most potentially serious at the youngest age. The vaccine is most potentially serious at the youngest age. HP provides the perfect ability to start giving protection at two weeks of age without risk. It's the perfect option. Why the hell won't most doctors bloody (laughs) take their masks off and take their blinkers off and and just see that? If they really cared about children, they would. I know, but they're so trained against it. And, you know, I guess it's for those, you know, it's, it's only for those with eyes to see that. um, And and I can honestly say when I was first introduced to homeopathy, I had no clue what it was. I'm like, what? Okay. So we're we're coming on this one hour here and I'm just going to ask a couple more questions and then we are going to go ahead and (laughs) sad as I am to close, but we already promised that we're going to have you back again because there's just so much more yeah. information that, that our folks are going to want. And I can about imagine how many emails we're going to get. Okay. <clears throat> um, you also do a whole lot of work with um, vaccine injured children. Yeah. Um, and here's a question like, would a child with vaccine injury suffer a reaction to the remedy for the vaccine that they were injured by? That's one of and our questions. Answers, yeah, it's a good question. Very appropriate question. And the answer is quite possibly. And it's not a bad thing if it does. In fact, it's a very good thing. And the art of the practitioner treating vaccine-injured children should be to try and assess um, how potentially sensitive the vaccine-injured child is and start with a potency that is appropriate. And if you're, and when I say potency is strength of the homeopathic remedy, uh, and if you're unsure, start at the lowest 30C and work up. Um, Look, there's a really important point here, Sue, and that is that um, people need to understand that the remedy to treat vaccine injury is different to the remedy to immunize using homeoprophylaxis. Some people right. make that confusion. Okay. They are two totally different remedies. Now, occasionally, for example, if a child's been damaged by the DPT, and the P in the DPT is pertussis or whooping cough, and you give them the nosode for whooping cough to start giving an improved level of prevention, it will help the child. But that's more good luck than anything else. And what I centre most of my treatment around is using homeopathic potencies of the vaccine. Now, I've published recently the third edition of my book on vaccine-injured children. And in the book, Every second chapter is data and every other second chapter is case histories. Um, oh. And I've, I've been collecting a lot of data on the symptom profile of different vaccines. And the way I've been doing that is looking at the, at the symptoms of the vaccine injured child, giving them the vaccine potency that I think is appropriate, and then looking at the symptoms that have been removed. Okay. And with the wisdom of hindsight, that tells you what <laughs> symptoms the vaccine caused, because the only way 
the vaccine potency would remove those symptoms was if the vaccine was the cause. Wow. It's a, yeah. it's amazing. And when you look at say the different symptom profile of the MMR vaccine and the DPT combination vaccines, they're totally different. Right. Interestingly, right. and this is why we do research. Um, last time I did the number crunching, was the first time I had enough data about the varicella or chickenpox vaccine to actually get a preliminary symptom profile. And it just blew me away because the symptom profile of the varicella vaccine is very, very similar to the symptom profile of the MMR vaccine. Oh my. I had no idea of that. And in Australia, I don't know if they're doing it in America, but they're now using an MMRV, which is a combination four antigen vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella, and chickenpox or varicella. And oh. so I can only imagine what the MMR, <clears throat> excuse me, V profile is going to be. And I'm just starting to collect a little bit of data and I'm hoping oh, probably be next year now, <laughs> I'll get to um, uh, do a number, another lot of number crunching um, and I'll have enough data on the MMRV vaccine to see what that looks like. But I mean, I can't imagine it being much different to the well, two that, combined. Yeah, you, you do have a, um, a, a link on your website for persons who want to, you know, have an injured, have an injured child or something from a, due to a vaccine, that, the form that they fill out. That I did, is that correct that I seen that? That uh, no, um, I thought it was I a form so. for someone that no. could complain, but. You should have one. Oh, then because, complain, you mean? Yes. About right, the injury. Oh, yes. I might have a link to the um, okay. Australian Vaccination Network. Okay. They have a form. Okay. Yeah, where people because you can should collect. also have. I used to. I used, oh. to in, I used to invite parents to, in my old website, if they had a problem to submit. But look, no one was doing it, and I didn't oh. have time to process. Okay. So I've actually removed that, I think. But okay. um, I think I still have the link. Uh, where if there is an injury, it can be reported. I see. Yes, okay. but not to me these days. Okay. Yeah. Because we have so many moms that are listeners on this podcast that you might be getting a lot of questions. <laughs> well, Sorry, I had a time. <laughs> ha- we, we don't have a VAERS like you have there. Okay. Um, there is a reporting service in Australia. It's grossly underutilized. Okay. Hardly any doctor, orthodox doctor uses it. Oh, my. Um, and most parents don't even know about it. There's a very, very good um, parents group um, started of oh, decades, three or four decades ago by a friend of mine. She's a, from America originally, Meryl Dory, and called the Australian Vaccination Network. It's had to change its name a few times because of attacks by the government. Uh, so it might be Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network now. I'm not sure. But okay. people could find it. And they have a reporting service on that for Australia. Okay. So if any parents in Australia want to report, you, you can look at their website. It's got a lot of very good information and help okay. as to what to do. Okay. I have three more really quick questions here. One yep. of them is that if, if you have, if you've vaccinated your child, the tradition, the pharmaceutical way, um, do you do cleanup bef- with that child of any sort before you start the homeoprophylaxis, the HP? Yep. Once again, a really good question, and it depends on the child. Okay. So in other words, if there was severe vaccine injury, we would treat that first. Okay. If there was no obvious vaccine injury, um, we'd start with the HP, get up to date, and then if the parents wanted to do just a detox, even though there wasn't clear evidence of vaccine injury, we can also do a gentle detox. And, And it's been interesting over the last two and a half years my experience has changed a lot because parents, because of COVID, a, a whole new group of parents become aware of this okay. issue with vaccination for their children. And so I'm in the past, I was only approached when the child was on the spectrum or ADHD, Asperger's or chronic, chronic eczema, chronic asthma, you know, the, the range of potential damage from vaccines is enormous. Right. Um, global developmental delays, another common one, uh, and epilepsy. But these days, over the last few years, parents have just been contacting me saying, look, my child's basically pretty healthy. I just want to detox from the DPT and the MMR. 
wow. it's really been a very noticeable change. So much so I've had to mark the files differently. So when wow. I come to process the files, I'm going to, if I can, it's going to be a bit of work, but uh, have a different set of figures for those particular parents. Now, sometimes what I, what I do standard with those parents is I start with a low potency and then give them a, a higher potency, not the, you know, oh, okay. one potency at a time Right. with strict rules that if their child reacts to the low potency, they must not give them the high one. Right. If the child reacts to the low one, it means even though they look okay, the vaccine is still causing an issue. Right. And then we need to go one step at a time with the potencies. But if there's no reaction to the lower potency, skip ahead to the higher one. Once again, if there's a reaction, they email me immediately and we work from that, depending okay. on what the reaction is. Okay. That's awesome. what I'm doing. Okay. And so then somebody else asks, is it normal to have zero reactions to all the HP remedies? Um, how do I know they're working if I have no, if the child has no reactions? <laughs> That's a great question. And my data, which I did for my doctorate, looking at reactions, showed that there were reactions to the HP in 2% of doses, which oh. means that 98% of the time there aren't reactions. Okay. So that, that <laughs> means that most of the time parents will be saying, how do we know? And the answer is we don't. Right. We the already, honest answer, except already, with the wisdom of hindsight. Right. In other uh, words, if the child's exposed to a disease and they don't get the disease, you know it's worked. Right. And so that, that brings us back. You already answered this question about titers. But yeah. I, I know some parents will actually take their, their children in and have their blood tested. Okay, so because yeah. that's one of the questions I get all the time. Will my child develop titers if they do homeoprophylaxis? And I'm like, nobody really knows why some children will show titers and why some won't. I do. I know. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us. And the answer is that the child has been exposed to the disease but didn't get the disease symptoms. Okay. The parents may not even have known they were exposed to the disease but they processed right. it and built antigens. They, that's like what I was saying to you about me getting COVID. I'm so happy because now I've got a whole lot of COVID antibodies. There you go. There you so go. that's the problem. And look, I've over the years, and I would love people to prove me wrong, by the way, but <laughs> you know, in 38 years or whatever, no one has uh, over the years, I have been sent information by some genuine people saying, look, We've done this study or we saw this study where a child used HP, they did a blood test and they had uh, antibodies. And so my first question is, right, did they measure the antibody levels before they gave HP and after? And if they didn't, the test is meaningless. Okay. Well, you need a baseline. Right, to work absolutely. From. But even if they did, and I haven't yet heard of one question, one survey that did that, in between the baseline and when they took the second measurement, they still could have been exposed to the disease, didn't get right. it. And that's why the antibodies are there. So that's why, even though some colleagues of mine disagree, I always say the answer is no, you cannot expect antibodies to be produced using HP. So don't do a test and come back and complain if they're not, because right. we don't expect them to be produced. This is not a vaccine. Okay. It's a That's, totally different method. The, which reminds me. Is that answering me, your question? Yes, absolutely. Is, you, yes, you've answered all my, my nice little simple questions here. And I have a few more questions, of course, that are with a little more meat. And I will put that in podcast in our, in our members corner. And yeah. we will have you back again. And we will invite our regular listeners to submit questions as well, because you're just such a fountain, fountain of information that we just have to have you back. <laughs> Love to come back. <laughs> so what is your advice? I mean, you have the, you know, the media and everything is just putting the fear of God in everyone nowadays. And they're scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. What's your, what's your best advice to parents today, trying to raise a family as natural as they can yeah. in, in a calm, happy yeah. atmosphere? Well, the problem with the media is, um, it's not the fear of God. It's, uh, yes, it's, right. not, it's got nothing to do with God, what the media <laughs> is saying. In fact, that's the problem. Um, right. And that's a good start for a lot of people. Now, I don't belong to a particular religion, although I've been studying esoteric things for 
well, since my late teens, actually. And uh, so I love the teachings of all the great spiritual teachers. Um, and I know that some people argue with other, each other about who's got the best system. But, you know, let's just say there is a, a creative force, which whether we accept it, recognize it or not, pervades everything. And the more in harmony we can live with that creative force on every level, physical, mental, emotional, um, then, you know, the healthier and the happier we'll be and the more able we will be to cope with all of the horrible things that are happening on the planet. And there are far too many horrible things. Um, the, in terms of how each person approaches that, it's an impossible question to answer because everyone has such a different background. You know, some people were brought up by parents who were calm, loving, and taught them to be the same. But most of the time, that's not the case. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, and as a parent, I've made many, many mistakes and things I'd love to go back and redo, but you can't. So you've got to move on and you've got to do the best with what you've done and, and what residual is left in your children. And, um, you know, basically, uh, I just try and say to people, look, keep it as simple as possible what you're doing. Don't go down the rabbit hole. I've got a, something I've believed in for decades, and that is if, if something, whether it's advice or a, a technique or whatever, is really simple, it probably does come from God. If it's really complicated, it probably comes from a man or sometimes a woman. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing so is, I try simplicity to talk- is so good. Right. Yeah. And wherever there's a contradiction, there's an untruth. And I tell people, use your intellect to figure out what the untruth is. And, um, you know, like I said, I've been following you now for, well, since I found out about homeoprophylaxis and which is probably only going on about six years that I really found out about homeoprophylaxis and, and I've just been enthralled with it. Um, and people say to me, Sue, did you, did you use it for your kids or your grandkids? And I'm like, well, you guys, um, not on a regular basis. My, I will say my kids, my grandchildren are not vaccinated, but my, um, their parents are, you know, like, oh, that's okay. Mom will just take care of it if they get sick. (laughs) You know, and that's a terrible attitude to have. But um, I will say that I keep asking them, and I know a couple of them have started, you know, doing um, a regular schedule. But um, for the most part, no, they haven't. And my kids were too old. Um, They were already in their early teens when I found out about homeoprophylaxis my youngest is now 18 and um, all the way to 41 <laughs> so yeah well my, mine weren't actually um I, some my early children were vaccinated but my later children weren't right because that's you know when I found out about it in the late 70s early 80s basically and as I said I stopped vaccinating before I found out what HP was wow um, yep. and in terms of my grandchildren I mean as far as I know and I don't know to be honest exactly <laughs> because it's up to their parents you know it's their mm-hmm. parents decision but as far as I know most of them are not um, because most of them are still fairly young I mean our, my eldest grandchild's only 21 basically but okay. you know when when the children get to that age if they think for example with COVID we've got to get vaccinated so we can go out or we can travel or we can whatever then some of them will make that decision I know some of my children who weren't vaccinated as infants had to get the COVID vaccine in order to have maintain their employment I have thousands of people telling me you know I don't want to be get this damn thing um, but I have to otherwise I, I lose my job and I can't afford to lose my job because I'll lose my home. Wow. My family will have nowhere to live. And, you know, I totally understand that. So try and, and help them as much as that. I can. We're going to talk about that right? okay. in just a few minutes on our next podcast for the members. Yeah. But um, yeah. I really, really appreciate you being here. And like I said, I know we're going to be swamped with emails and questions for your, for your next podcast, which Joy will get scheduled right away so that we're on the schedule again. And okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. Isaac Golden, thank you so very much for being here. And to all of our listeners, I thank you so much for joining us. This has just been a a wonderful experience for me and I'm sure for you as well. May God bless you. Thank you very much, Sue. Thank you. Thank you. you. All right. God bless. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast with Dr. Isaac Golden. Dr. Golden will be joining Sue and her members in the members corner on August 14th at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
If you'd like to join the Members Corner so that you can come to the live Q&A, you're welcome to do that by visiting members.homeopathyformommies.com forward slash invite. We hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Please visit Sue on her website, homeopathyformommies.com, and join us right here at homeopathyformommiesradio.com. Wednesday, noon Eastern. As always, we pray the Lord blesses you with good health, vitality, strength, and wisdom.